Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to Cup of Joy, the podcast. I'm your host, Heidi B, and on this show, we'll talk truth on tough topics to help you normalize and navigate the junk and invite you to choose epic joy on the daily. Because let's be honest, life gets to be a whole lot of both. We'll jam on beliefs, breakups, body image, and so much more to create breakthroughs and become the truest you. Like my mama B always says, put a smile on your face and joy in your heart. Let's start. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Cup of Joy, the podcast. I have a special re- return guest with me today, Steph German. If you guys listen to our podcast on coaching versus therapy, she is a gem. And she's back with us today to jam on all things trauma, trauma in the body, what is trauma, all the things. So welcome, Steph. Hello, Heidi. Thanks for having me back. I'm so excited for today. I'm so excited that you are here again today. And why don't you just remind our audience kind of about your background, because we're going to go a little bit geeky today, like geeky in all things like science in the body, but also high level trauma. So Tell them a little bit about your background so they can know your expertise and and why you're an expert speaking on this today. Okay, well, um, yeah, we're going to geek out just a little bit. We're going to get into some of the the nitty-gritty pieces of trauma. Not too much, but just a little bit. But um, I'm Steph German. I am a life coach specializing in self-love and body image and helping trauma survivors find freedom and step into their purpose. So my background, as you know, Heidi, uh, you and I went through the Hungry for Happiness coaching certification together, which is fantastic. But prior to that, um, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology and uh, some training in neuroscience. And then my post-grad, I did some specialized trauma training to become trauma-informed and all things trauma to help serve my clients better. So that's why I focus on trauma survivors. Um, and I personally am a sexual trauma survivor. So helping trauma survivors is very near and dear to my heart because it's what I've done for myself as well. So that's a little bit about my background. Um, and yeah, excited to talk about all the trauma today. You are my go-to person for things that are science-y. I always am like, okay, I got to check in with Steph, see what <laughs> she thinks on this one. How does this work? And you know, I'm going through my breathwork trainer, facilitator training right now. And also in the certification program, we, we talk about trauma in the body. And I'm not a trauma expert at all. I'm just starting to scratch the surface about where it lives, how it is. And so I thought this would be a great topic to bring to people as, you know, we were talking earlier that trauma is kind of quote unquote, a buzzword right now. A lot of people are interested in trauma, exploring where they're at in their lives and their body, really growing, um, growing through some of the stuff that we have made our beliefs and um, some of the things that we've experienced growing up from childhood till now that have really affected our development. And so let's like, let's just start out with like, what is trauma? Yes. Beautiful. Um, And you, you said it, it's an experience. So an experience that humans go through where my favorite explanation of trauma for all of you guys is it's an experience where something happened that was too much, too fast, too soon, or something happened too little, too late. Mm. And that's where trauma lives. So when we experience something again, too much, too fast, too soon, or too little, too late, we, we go through this somatic and physical and um, expressional type 
experience that makes trauma last in the body. Now, that experience gets imprinted in our brain through memory and our what I would call our alarm system in our brain. So the alarm system in our brain lives in the amygdala. And the amygdala is responsible for, you know, just your basic human emotions. And one of those is fear. So fear lives in the amygdala. And um, the amygdala is responsible for, you know, telling the brain, is this situation dangerous or not? And during a traumatic experience, the brain will signal its alarm system, and then it will essentially imprint the memory in the hippocampus. So hippocampus is where memories are stored in the brain. And thus, when the alarm system flags and your memory system pairs it with that memory, that's where trauma lives in the brain. So you'll have a traumatic memory. Now, depending on the trauma and depending on the person, it's different for everybody. Everybody's brain um, relays and takes pictures of things differently. Uh, Not everybody's brain and body work the same. As we all know, we all look different. We all feel different. We all act different. We are all different in the biological ways as well. So the way that somebody remembers trauma may be different for somebody in the same exact experience. So you could be in a car crash with a family member and that particular memory will be different for each person, depending on how how it's perceived, how it's received through the body, through those channels of experience. Um, so that being said, any questions so far, Ms. Heidi? <laughs> well, I think I think one question that I do have is um, trauma. So how is my trauma different than maybe your trauma? Because I have not, for example, if you don't mind me using this as an example, I feel like when I hear the word trauma, I'm like, I've, I have never had any trauma. I've never had a huge major event in my life. And you've been, you've had sexual trauma, right? So to me, that's huge. It's major. I can't even imagine someone going through that. And then, but I know that there's things that were too much, too fast, too soon, or too little, too late. I can't recall them in this exact moment, but they had to have been there because it has affected the way that I react and respond to life. So can you talk about trauma in that sense of it, it being this massive event or not? Yeah, absolutely. So it's referred to in in this area of um, study as big T or little t. So, and if you if you picture trauma on like a very large spectrum, kind of like you have things like breaking a bone or scraping a knee or um, you know a big cry or other kind of like some of those things would be like what I would consider on the little T area. And then you have your big T. So you have your, your veterans in combat, you have sexual trauma survivors, you have you know plane crashes, car crashes, like really extreme stuff. And then everything else just kind of falls in there. But the problem with putting it on a spectrum like that does not account for the difference in personalities between each one of us as humans. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I like to do with my clients is release any stigma or judgment around any trauma, period. If it was hard for you, too much, too fast, too soon, or too little, too late, then we categorize it as trauma, period. And then we get to release the stigma behind what we think trauma means. Mm, I love that. I love that. Because something um, that seems really small to me, or it seems really small to you, may be different for me. Whereas, you know, um, Maybe just falling off my bike 
I remember, now I do remember getting into trauma. I'm like, this did traumatize <laughs> me. Here's a great example. I, um, I remember going mountain biking for the first time with my significant other at the time. And he went down as fast as he could. And I tried to follow him and my bike just flipped over three times. And luckily I didn't break anything or get hurt, but I was so traumatized. I guess I'll use that phrase traumatized mm -hmm. by that instance that I still, I, to this day have, will not go, um, mountain biking. I'll go bike, right. regular biking or beach, beach biking, but I won't go mountain biking. So to some people that might seem like a little T, but to me, that was a big T. It affects the fact it that feels I, big. it feels yeah. big. I never uh -huh. want to do it again. Like it would take a lot for me to process through that. So yeah, exactly. And just like we learned in our, in our training through hungry for happiness, it's about how you feel. Right. So even in the experience, in the instance that something occurred, it's about how it makes you feel. Um, and with the big T uh, experiences, you know, you, you do have uh, a break in your pattern of fear, which causes that cycle. So what you're saying is like, you know, your, your amygdala, your alarm system said, oh, that was really scary and it hurt and I don't want to do it again. So now every time the thought of mountain biking comes up, you're like a hell no, right? <laughs> right. So, <laughs> um, so on a grander scale, things start depending on the experience, right? So there's different, um, pieces of a somatic experience. So some of them in the, are in this model called SIBAM. And I want to share this with everybody because this is the, the pieces that trauma will affect. So SIBAM stands for sensation, images, behavior, affect, and meaning. And those are the pieces that contribute to an experience. So if you are a big T trauma survivor, meaning you had this epic experience of just all of these somatic pieces being fed to you and your system was jolted and your alarm system was flaring and maybe you even blacked out from memory, like you can't even comprehend because your body shut down and went into survival mode, period. These pieces of information were being fed through to your body. Now, every time you come in contact with something similar to that experience in one of those categories, sensation, images, behavior, affect, or meaning, and sometimes smell is in there too. So the sensation, when we talk about the five sensations, um, five senses rather, um, so smell, sight, touch, anything that reminds you or gives your body like a picture or a piece of that memory, it'll trigger you. So there's that other buzzword, trigger. Right. So it'll trigger the amygdala to say, oh, this is familiar. This is an alarm, you know, because our hippocampus remembers based on the alarm system and then connected. We get all of this information. We get all of the sensation. And then it causes our body to go into that response, which is what that trigger is. And we categorize that as a fight, flight or freeze response, which is part of, you know, what what that whole nervous system does. We haven't gotten to the nervous system yet, but all of that lives there in the experience. And your brain has taken this somatic picture through memory of what that alarm looked like, what it felt like, what all of those pieces. So it's um, compared to your mountain biking incident, it's the same pieces of information being fed to you, you know, and then if we were to place it on that scale, it's like, okay, well, it's a little different for everybody, but Heidi still doesn't go mountain biking because of that experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I love the reference that you used of the picture. It's like all those different spaces in the brain create the picture 
of trauma, which lives in your body. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, So what else do we need to know about how it lives in the body, where it is? What are, are there any missing pieces that we haven't talked about just yet before we get into healing part, healing part? Yep. So the nervous system is the next piece. So what happens in the brain between the amygdala and the hippocampus will ultimately send signals down through your autonomic nervous system. Your autonomic nervous system um, is what controls your things like heart rate and breathing and digestion and, um, you know, just normal subconscious type functions in the body. So when we get triggered into a fear response, the autonomic nervous system sends a response to the body to essentially fight, flight, or freeze which can quicken heart rate so that it gets you ready to fight or flight. It shuts down your digestive system so that you're not, you know, wasting energy on digestion. You know, it increases your, your, um, your blood pressure, you know, it'll even like, um, you know, dilate your pupils so that you have a greater, you know, visual response. So it's just different things happening in that area. And in your autonomic nervous system, you have what's called the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is what sends all those pretty little signals throughout the body. And it's one of the longest nerves that extends from the base of the skull almost all the way down to your tailbone. And it's a very long nerve, very, very long nerve. And in this autonomic nervous system, there's two separate parts, two main separate parts. There is the sympathetic and the parasympathetic of this nervous system. Parasympathetic is what we are at a normal rate. So when our parasympathetic nervous system is activated, everything's functioning, you know, where we're having regular bowel movements and our heart rate is normal and we're breathing normally and our pupillary response is normal. Everything's just really level and on autopilot. Sympathetic nervous system is when that autonomic nerve gets activated. So the vagus nerve gets activated because of the fear response in the amygdala and it sends us into overdrive, ready to react, ready to fight, ready to, to, you know, go and do the things that will help us survive. Now in that sympathetic nervous system, things like anxiety, overwhelm, um, depression, uh, of any type of numbing activity that would help you try to get back to a parasympathetic state is where all of those different behaviors live is in the sympathetic. And most of us live in a fairly sympathetic activated life. So if you're an overachiever, if you're constantly overwhelmed or anxious or like, you know, uh, a hustler, you're, you're kind of in a sympathetic activated state. And that's all based on whether your brain is sensing danger or not and it needs to survive so that I know that this is this is the area that I have lived in the majority of my life not realizing that there's so many opportunities for me to actually be in the driver's seat when it comes to this and really help regulate self-regulate I had a question on the autonomic nervous system with where digestion and heart rate lives is this why a lot of times people get um, kind of tripped up in kind of blocked up, stuck up in their, in their digestive tract when they're feeling yes. anxiety and stress and things like that. It's like, and our muscles start to feel kind of like contracted and your shoulders kind of start to raise and your body starts to ache in different places. Yep. Is this all different signals kind of firing from this space of our nervous system trying to help us out? But really that's what's causing us like, more situations in our physical body 
Yep, 100%. So the autonomic nervous system will essentially put your body into stress. And if we live in a sympathetic state for too long, yeah, your digestion is going to be wonky. Your muscles are going to be tight. You're not going to sleep well. Um, you know, it affects sleep. So it's, there are so many different things tied to being in that sympathetic activated state. Um, and so, I mean, just for example, so one of the things that I struggled with myself was digestion. I had such a terror, like I thought, I met, I saw so many doctors when I was healing from my trauma thinking that I had food sensitivities or that I had allergies or that I just couldn't eat certain foods. But then by the time, you know, I was basically living on rice and bananas, it was like, okay, well, now I know it's not a food sensitivity. It was actually, I was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and I was constantly in that sympathetic nervous system state, constantly feeling anxious, constantly feeling overwhelmed, you know, skyrocketing from, you know, a, a fight or flight or into a freeze depressive state, you know, and it just kind of bounced around. So when you suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, there's no regulated, there's no regulation in the autonomic nervous system. You're constantly mm. hypervigilant and overactivated. It's so, interesting because I was talking to one of my clients about this a couple of months ago and didn't even realize that it was all, all of this was connected. And she had said, you know, her parents were separated and every time that her mom would come pick her up or her dad, it was one of the two, her dad would drive her over to her mom's. She always had a stomach ache. Like every mm. single time she always had a stomach ache. And so they were mm. like, ah, oh, what are you getting fed over there at your house or what's going on with you or how come? And it wasn't until she was grown up that she realized that what was really happening and she didn't name it the sciencey stuff that we're talking about, but yeah. she's like, I think I just had so much anxiety stuck in my body that it, uh, it, it created stomach aches every time mm. my body had these sensations. It knew getting in the car was going over there, which meant, which led to X, Y, Z, right? This state yep. that we're going into. So she was anticipating everything that was going to come out of the situation because that was traumatic for her. Yeah. Causing stress, you know, making the fear center in the brains, you know, imagine all of these different scenarios, right? And, and in anticipation of the stress happening, hence why she felt anxious and then her stomach aches. And right. I, again, it's different for everybody. Anxiety may feel like something completely different for you than it does for me. So the, the autonomic nervous system responses feel different for everybody. Regulation will feel different for everybody and look different for everybody. Um, as, as well as, you know, sympathetic uh, arousal. It, it will look and feel different for everybody, which is why trauma lives in the body differently for everybody. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it depends on the person. It depends on the experience. It depends on the perception of that experience by that particular person. It's very, very unique from person to person. And it's never, we can explain it scientifically. Yes. The, the sympathetic gets aroused and then we regulate and, you know, go back into a normal state or a safe and social state that's polyvagal, but a safe and social state to where, you know, you and I can sit here and have a conversation and we're both relatively regulated and breathing normally, you know, I've got my coffee, like this would be considered safe and social. And again, this would be different for everybody. Somebody else in my shoes or your shoes may be a little bit activated and feel anxious about being on a podcast. Um, whereas, you know, it's just different for everybody. And that's, that's one thing I love about this is that it can't be explained the same for every person. Mm -hmm. oh, 
so good. It's so good. So how do we heal this? How do we live in more of a parasympathetic state when we've got all these things going on? I, Steph, I can't live here. I got a job to go to and it's, it's all this way. And, you know, I got a family to care for. And so these things that really heighten us and take us into the sympathetic more often than not, how do we bring ourselves back to this parasympathetic and heal some of this trauma that, that could have been decades decades ago. Yeah, exactly. And one thing I want to stress is that sympathetic activation and parasympathetic activation are both normal. We go up and down. So kind of if you picture like a bell curve up and down, up and down, there is a normal expression of sympathetic and parasympathetic parasympathetic energy that occurs daily. Like, you know, every single day we're aroused and then, you know, we come back down and aroused and come back down. So it's, it's absolutely normal. And in that normal range of activation and deactivation, it's called the window of tolerance. And that's where we live as humans who are, you know, regulated and quote unquote normal, whatever that means. We can talk about that in another one, right. in another podcast. But in a normal state of activation and deactivation of the autonomic nervous system is called the, the window of tolerance. Now, people who experience trauma have an experience outside of that window. So in order to heal the trauma that's outside of the window of tolerance, we must expand that window and push our edges just a little bit. Now that's where the healing work really comes in is pushing those edges and really understanding what your limits are. Now, um, hashtag safety first, right? We always establish safety in the body. We need to know safety first. Um, We have to understand what it feels like to be safe in the body in order to do this work. We cannot do this type of trauma work unless we feel safe in the body. We cannot feel unless we feel safe to feel. And then we can feel it to heal it. So we have to feel safe to feel first. So one of the things that I do with my clients is we establish what that feeling of safety looks like, feels like, um, you know, and really harnessing and really getting fine-tuned on what that really is for that particular person. Then once we do that, then we start talking about all of those different pieces that created the experience. So again, that Saiban model, the sensations, the images, the behaviors, the affect, and the meaning of those experiences as it feels comfortable for that person to do so. Mm. Now, along with talking about it comes the arousal of the sympathetic, right? Because our brain still recognizes that event as dangerous and unsafe, right? Which it absolutely is. So then what we have to do is, okay, brain, I'm safe now. I'm channeling in that feeling of safety and I'm pushing my edges, and then we need to complete the cycle of the autonomic nervous system response. Meaning, once we start feeling that sympathetic arousal, we need to go back into the deactivation and return to parasympathetic. Now, there's four ways to do that. It's through breath, which you know already, Mm -hmm. through sound, through movement, or through touch. So what that looks like, breath work, folks, um, you're, you're Beautiful Heidi here is getting certified in breathwork. Breathwork is a beautiful way to help release all of that sympathetic energy and restore a parasympathetic state into your nervous system. And Um, can't can't it also be just a simple step as just like a lot of times during the day, I just take three deep breaths. That's it, right? So simple. Just a couple of breaths, like regular breathing in through the nose, 
out through the mouth three times, that really helps me most days. Yep, exactly. We're talking five seconds of breath or three hours worth of breath work. Whatever suits you is what's good for you. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, taking a quick breath break throughout the day just to really deepen the breath and elongate that breath. That's a, that's a really quick way to kind of reset the vagus nerve as that slow, deep breath just to reset. Um, you know, and depending on, again, every body is different. So breath work in its full extent, like a full meditative breath may not feel good. And that's okay. It doesn't have to feel good. So that's why there's lots of other ways. So the next one is through sound. Um, now the vagus nerve in particular has a tone from body to body. So this vagal tone is essentially a, a frequency, a vibration. So if you think of this as like a string on a guitar, when you pluck that guitar, string, it vibrates and it makes a sound. Your vagus nerve is really no different. And the sound and the vibration that it creates is based on the signals that it gets from the brain. So if you're really in a highly activated sympathetic state, your vagus nerve is going to be, you know, vibrating at a higher frequency. And in order to help reset that or regulate it, you can make sound yourself. So you actually make like a humming sound or sing, or you can actually talk about the things that you're experiencing to help regulate the vagus again and reset the nervous system. You can also go to like a sound healing. So like mm. with the bowls, the crystal bowls. I mm. love those. That makes so much sense to me. The first time right. I went there, I'm like, what is it? They're called sound baths, you guys. Sound baths, and yeah. Sound baths. And I thought, we're going to a bath. I went with my friend, uh, Karishma, who you know, and she's like, you've never been to a sound bath? And they're just these bowls and you bring your blankie and you bring your pillow and you just lay there and the vibration of the bulls literally bring your body into this just this beautiful state of presence and ease and stillness or evoke whatever emotionality I would assume your body is yeah. ready to receive and I mean it's I want to go to one right now. They're so soothing and so calming. <laughs> it's such a beautiful practice. And sound is such a beautiful healing modality. Sound is one of my favorites. So for those of you listening, if you've ever listened to like your favorite song or a really sad song and it evokes an emotion out of you, that is literally the frequency of that song speaking to your body, vibrating at the sound of that particular emotion. So it's... It's, it's really cool. You know, sound is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, so sound is one of my favorites. I listen to music or listen to a tone or even, you know, not that I'm the best singer, but I love to sing and it helps me feel, you know, more regulated or um, if I want to get like amped up, like there's music too that helps like amp you up. It can get you into a sympathetic state, right? So we mm -hmm. listen to some angry rock music, we can get activated. So it works both ways. It can help regulate you and it can also activate you, which is mm. just, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So can sound. it be, can it also be stuff, sounds that you make from your own body? Like I've seen different people like do the, um, or the, yes. Uh, and just trying to find like a sound from within your own body to navigate what feels good. Can that be a way to use sound? Yes. Yeah. So humming and singing, vibrating at any particular sound. So a lot of times if we're able to release the mind chatter when we make a sound and just literally let your body speak at whatever vibration it wants to, it will release whatever vibration is stuck in your body. 
So if I were to really fully go into a meditative state and kind of turn down my brain chatter and make a noise, it would release the sound of me in that moment. Whatever that emotional frequency looks like, whatever that energy in my body sounds like in that moment, it's what would release out of my mouth without even trying. Um, I love that piece of it without even trying because I know that I'm a super, I, I, in the past, I've really worked on this, have been such a heady person and it comes up more frequent than not. And so I use a bit of breath and then if I try to release it, I'm always trying to find the tone, like, ah, right. you're ah, judging the tone ah, that comes you're out judging of your the body. Tone. Yes. Instead of just letting the tone come just out, I'm like, it flow. Oh, what, what feels good. So yeah. I love that it's with ease, with ease, your body just yes. speaks. And that, yeah. I think that takes some practice, but it you know, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful way. There's so many ways to use sound externally or internally. So thank you for that. Yeah, of course. And all of all of these four pieces of regulation and kind of like sympathetic cycle completion um, are all supposed to be easy. Letting the body flow the way that it needs to, letting sounds flow, um, letting breath flow, letting, and the next piece is movement. Just letting your body do as it feels it needs to do without mm-hmm. judgment, without the mind chatter, without letting anything else distract you, letting these pieces move as they really need to. So with that next piece movement, again, how does your body want to move? If you could move in that moment, would you run? Would you punch? Would you dance? Would you flow? Would you just move your shoulders? How would you? How would your body move to release any of that energy that was stuck in there? Because similar to the way the vibration from the music affects us, the movement that we give our bodies also helps discharge energy. Just regular physics, right? Calories in, calories out energy. Mm. So if, if we have calories burning inside of our body, we can move the body quite literally to help burn off that energy, right? Just like when you have too much caffeine and you feel super buzzy, like you could run a marathon. Yeah, you probably could because you're body has all of this energy inside of it that it doesn't need. Um, so movement is also a beautiful practice. So I, I'm also encouraging your listeners to, to move in a way that feels good, again, without judgment, without saying, I need to do XYZ in order to get XYZ kind of gain. No, no, it's just movement. Like if you're feeling kind of antsy, just move your body and see how it feels. And the judgment piece is so big on this stuff because I know the other day I was out walking in the park and for some reason my body was just like, go to a cartwheel, go to a cartwheel, go to a cartwheel. And my brain went, you can't do a cartwheel. First of all, it's been a long time. Second of all, someone's going to see you and you're a 37 year old woman doing cartwheels in the park. Why, why would you go do that? That sounds ridiculous. And then I was like, I have to do the freaking cartwheel. My, my body just wants to do that. It wants to try that. So I did like the baby cartwheel, like you would do in mini gymnastics. And and I kind of went for the big one and my body like literally just wanted to express in that way. But so many times we shut ourselves down. And I think that this maybe comes from a little bit of trauma, perhaps of, I can remember times sitting in, in school, you know, kindergarten, second grade, first grade, whatever, all throughout. And you, you're told don't move, like do not move, put your hands in your lap, this Mm -hmm. conditioning. And so I think in a way, like all of those things kind of take away from our self-expression, which is necessary to regulate us into the parasympathetic nervous system. Yes. Right. So we have to give ourselves permission back to let our bodies move in the way that we need to move and that it's okay. And it's not rude and it's not whatever. I did meditation this morning with some women and 
everybody started seated and I said, hey, don't forget, like you can move your body anytime that you want. You can flow your arms, you can wiggle your toes. You don't have to sit here in this Rafiki style pose, yogi pose <laughs> that, we're, that we're, you know, conditioned to do. Like it's exactly. okay, even during meditation, especially during meditation, to let your body just move. Like sometimes I push my hips up and sway my body back and forth. And before I learned all this stuff, I would have never done that because I would want to be the good girl or the perfectionist or all the things that trying to do it right. I yes. want to do it right. And the right way is the right way for your own body. Right? Exactly. Yep. It, whatever feels good for you is what's right. And it's again, different for every single person on this planet. What feels good for me may not feel good for you and vice versa. Like it's different for everybody. And that's why, you know, really that's, that's a piece of the, the healing journey, right? Is understanding that the conditioning that we've all experienced is not the true expression of ourself, capital S, right? Mm-hmm. And that some of those pieces may fit and some of those pieces may not fit. And that's okay. We get to express however the hell we want to express ourselves, you know, within reason, you know, of course. <laughs> right. Like, don't go, don't go hurting yourself or anybody else. Um, <laughs> Maybe go naked in your house, not outside yeah, go, in public. There yeah, are exactly. laws. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, like a self-expression is so, so important with this. And completing that cycle of, of activation, like that, that full cycle of the trauma response is so important and helping your body to not be stuck in the conditioning that your brain has, right? Because there is, there's, there's trauma mixed in with human conditioning of, you know, different backgrounds, different ways of, of, um, how we were raised and all of those things play a part. That's why this is so unique from person to person is because not every single one of us has the same experience. There may be similarities, but Mm -hmm. not one of us is the same as another. Um, So it's, it's really important to give yourself that grace and understand that your experience is so unique and the way that you need to express yourself is so unique and it's going to look different. And that's why it's so important to release the judgment around, you know, whatever, type of conditioning you may have had growing up or, you know, from recent experiences, Um, which moves into the last piece, which is touch. Now, this includes self-touch or touch from a safe person. And this is as simple as a touch on the hand or a hug or a self, you know, caress, like touching the side of your arm just so gently while you're having that sympathetic experience. And I like to equate this to a mother picking up her child after her child has fallen and scraped, scraped her knee or just bumped her head or something like that. And the mother holds the child and rubs her back and says, it's okay, I'm here, you know, kind of giving yourself that nurturing, that, um, that kind of wellness and that motherly type of response that you would need in that moment from a partner or from yourself and just really touching yourself. And that helps to regulate the nervous system as well and bring you back to that safe and social state. So um, touch is a big one for a lot of us, right? So I know we're in the middle of a pandemic, so we can't go around hugging everybody. Um, But if you have a safe person that you can get a hug from or just a gentle caress from yourself or a hug from yourself, any, any type of, you know, self-love in that sense that you can, that you can get is, is going to help regulate the nervous system as well. 
I remember a day when I was processing some pretty big trauma for myself after my divorce. And I just started crying so hard, so hard, so hard. And I remembered this technique of touch. And I wished so badly that somebody could be there to just hold me and hug me and take me through this, this safety and stillness to help regulate. Mm -hmm. And I remember just grabbing each one of my elbows really softly, really warmly, and just like swaying back and forth and saying to myself, you're okay. You're okay. You're okay. You're so safe. You're so loved. And just speaking those words to myself truly, truly helped as I held my own body and my own self, letting my body know that I was okay. I believed that. And I knew that I had like everything that I needed inside of me to get to that calm state of safety. So that, yeah. that touch piece can be even in isolation as a single person all by yourself, you can find this sweet spot and, and heal yourself. Yep, exactly. And it's all about exactly that restoring safety, um, in the body. And it does, it takes practice. And again, we go through this cycle of activation, deactivation every day. And if you're living with trauma, you're living above you know, that window of tolerance very often and restoring safety in the body is so, so important. And it does take guidance. It takes work, you know, and, um, understanding and that radical acceptance piece, right? We have to accept where we're at in order to move forward. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very delicate, again, unique work from person to person and everybody needs something a little bit different. And what you need today may not be what you need to yesterday or what you need tomorrow. It's going to vary from, from day to day, from person to person. This is so good stuff. I love how much you've shared in the, in this space. And I think it's really important what you just said. So this segues perfectly into our next piece is if you do want support with this and help regulating and help going through this traumatic healing and beyond. How do people find you? What are you offering right now? Like what, how can they get more of you in their life to really help navigate this? Um, well, I have a one-to-one -one coaching program so they can find me on my website, www.stephgermancoaching.com uh, at Steph the German. Um, and also, you know, I offer free consultations for any new clients, um, to see if it's a good fit, because as we've talked about in our, our podcast before in therapy versus coaching, the person makes the difference. And it's a lot like dating. So, you know, you, you got to like the person that you're going to work with. You've got to feel comfortable again, hashtag safety first. If you don't hashtag feel safe, <laughs> yes. um, if you don't feel safe with that person, then yes, I have resources that I can help you find, whether it's a therapist or a coach, um, you know, and I'm not specifically a trauma coach. I'm a self-love and body image coach. So the work that I do is very self-love and body image focused. Um, though I do touch on trauma and I do uh, have somatic experiencing training and I'm trauma informed, all of those things, I still don't consider myself a trauma coach. So you kind of have to ask yourself, is it trauma that you want to heal or are you looking for more self-love? Are you looking for, um, you know, a body image type experience where you're struggling with food as your numbing agent? Um, are you looking for a therapy that's going to help you do EMDR and help you kind of really process those memories? So, um, really understanding what your goal is out of therapy or life coaching is also going to help.
Um, so check out our other episode about yeah. versus coaching. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, really a good one. Well, I love that stuff because I love the invitation to just connect with you, DM you, message you, find yes. you on Facebook, on Instagram, and just reach out and have that connection to, to be a resource in this way. You're just such yeah. a beautiful soul in that space. So I'm going to close us out with my two favorite questions that you get to answer again, which is what do you love most about yourself? Oh, I, I love how compassionate and kind I really am. Um, to your point, I, my door is always open, whether you become a client or not. I, I love just having the space that I do because I, I love people and, um, I, my heart really is just in helping. And I, I love that about myself. I really just do have a big heart. You do. You have one of the biggest I've ever, ever experienced. And you truly are a helper and a healer in this world. And I'm so grateful that you're in my world. And the last question that I have for you is what does joy feel like? Uh, joy feels like expansion and sunshine. Um, ah, uh, and all glitter yes. <laughs> expansion sunshine and glitter you yes. literally just named like three of my five favorite things i feel like my my, my boyfriend calls me poppy the troll um if you guys have watched you are Trolls, poppy like, yes sunshine and glitter is and more of that in my life so that that feels like joy to me too well i love you thank you for sharing this time with me there thank you for sharing your expertise in all things this area with our listeners and um i just appreciate you so so much I love you so much, Heidi. Thank you so much again for having me on the show. It's been so great to, to jam on all this geeky stuff. I love it. So thank you. All right. We'll have you back again soon talking about normal and not normal. <laughs> what is normal? What is normal? Big question mark. All right. We'll talk soon. Bye. Okay, bye. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you love what you heard, please take a quick second to screenshot this episode and share it with someone that you know would love it. Connecting with you brings sunshine to my soul. So let's continue the conversation on Instagram at joyfullybe. Drop me a message, question, or share your own junk to joy story with me. Remember that joy is contagious. You can help me spread it by leaving a little buzz, aka a review, on Apple Podcast. To learn more about Cup of Joy, the podcast, and my soulful services, visit cupofjoythepodcast.com. Chat soon.